Hey friend, welcome to Grounded, the vestibular podcast. I'm Dr. Madison Oak, aka the Vertigo Doctor. I am the vestibular physical therapist who is here to help you with all things dizziness, imbalance, and vertigo. In this podcast, we explore the fascinating world of vestibular disorders. Come with me as we dive into the journey to discover the mysteries of dizziness, the brain, inner ear, and the balance mechanisms that keep us grounded. Whether you've been managing your dizziness for one day or for 25 years, we are going to get real about what it takes to manage dizziness, handle the anxiety cycle, and thrive, not just survive, with your vestibular disorder. First, I want to remind you that this is never medical advice. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only and may or may not be the best fit for you and your personal situation. It shall not be construed as medical advice. The information and education provided here is not intended or implied to supplement or replace professional medical treatment, advice, and or diagnosis. Always check with your own physician, medical professionals, and healthcare team before trying or implementing any information found here. Meet me in your coziest chair while we navigate the highs and lows and the twists and turns of the vestibular universe. Welcome to Grounded. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Grounded. Today, I have with me a special guest, Dr. Emily Kostalnik, and we're going to be talking about the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle, everyone's favorite conversation, sort of. I mean, I think it's such an important one, and it's one of my favorites to talk about. Dr. Emily and I have been friends slash colleagues for quite some time, and I'm really excited to have her here. (laughs) Yes, I'm Um, excited to be here. I'm so proud of you for launching the pod. Excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. I have a feeling we're going to have to do like a part three, four, five, ten minutes between the <laughs> two of us. Probably. Um, probably. probably. Um, but if you could kind of introduce yourself, give us a little uh, history of your background with busyness, your practice, all the things. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for having me. So I'm Emily Kostelnik. Um, I am a clinical health psychologist. So now I specialize in vestibular disorder. So I call myself a vestibular psychologist. Um, and I'm also someone who lives with vestibular diagnoses. So I know I've kind of shared my story a little bit on social media, but in 2017, I think it was, I was a postdoctoral fellow. So I had just graduated with my PhD. I was doing kind of a final training year and I started to feel like my ear felt full all the time. And I developed some strange auditory symptoms. Um, and then anyway, subsequently was diagnosed with superior canal dehiscence syndrome or SCDS. Um, some people call it SSCD. And I underwent a metal faucet craniotomy, um, which is a pretty invasive surgery to plug this issue, which is a, a bony um, defect essentially. And the surgery was unsuccessful. And afterward, I mean, kind of looking back, I'm sure I had some level of triple PD after the first surgery. My vestibular symptoms were much worse after the first surgery than they were before. And I think it's because it was not plugged appropriately. Um, and then I went on to have a second revision surgery with a different approach called the transmastoid approach. Um, and then fast forward to postpartum was when like vestibular migraine hit like crazy and I was having attacks um, very frequently, triple PD, very stressful period, um, having a newborn, my husband was deployed. So that's sort of like my history in a nutshell. I've also had BPPV episodes. So all of that has really informed the work that I do. And I really like to kind of marry the patient experience of like how to navigate the medical system, which is really difficult. And then 
trying to figure out the best treatment options, what alternative treatment options might we have. And my goal really is to make people feel like they're not alone, like they have someone to help kind of walk them through this journey um, as a trusted source, you know, as a psychologist and as a patient. But I really want people never to feel like they've tried everything. I want people to always feel like there are other options and other combinations of options. And so I really try to dig into treatments and modalities and things that have been used for other chronic illnesses and see how that could apply to vestibular disorders. Because the fact of the matter is a lot of people don't think of it that way. And they're kind of in their, like, these are the traditional migraine treatments or like, these are the traditional treatments for whatever. And so I try to, I think, push the boundaries and trying different things. And that's something I really appreciate about the way you practice. And we share a lot of patients. People might not know that we share quite a few patients. We really do. do. Um, And we obviously do not talk about our patients without our patients' permission, but either the ones we have permission from, or when I hear from patients um, who also see you, they're like, oh yeah, Dr. Emily told me about this option. And I feel like you're always thinking of cool new ways to do things. Yeah. Um, We'll definitely get into that at another time. Today though, we are going to be talking about the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle, which I feel like is forever a hot topic. It will never not be something we could talk about because dizziness is scary and causes so much anxiety for a lot of reasons. So why mm-hmm. is that? Why are dizziness and anxiety paired? Why does this happen? Um, what's the overview there? Yeah. So the kind of central theme that applies to both of them is the nervous system. And so we have the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord, the peripheral nervous system, which kind of branches out. And part of the peripheral nervous system is the autonomic nervous system, which is the sympathetic fight or flight, parasympathetic rest and digest, and the vestibular system and fear, um, perceiving danger, anxiety, if you want to call it that also activates that sympathetic nervous system. And so if we kind of think of it from a chronological perspective, when you have your first episode of dizziness, it can be terrifying. You know, like you wake up and the room is spinning or it seems to come out of the blue. Um, And so that activates that fight or flight response. You associate that symptom with fear and danger. And so your body develops certain kind of survival responses associated with it, which is appropriate and makes total sense, right? Because it's terrifying. The problem is when you go on to develop chronic symptoms, you get into this fight or flight state all the time. And that's what the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle is because then people get into the state of like, was that dizziness that I felt like, was that vestibular? Was that anxiety? I can't tell the difference. It becomes this big mishmash of things. And so it can feel really, really overwhelming when you're in that constant state of perceived danger all the time. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times we talk about like Neanderthal humans being like, I need to run from lion or saber tooth tiger or whatever. And that's a really important response because we do not want to be eaten by a tiger or a lion, but it's Mm -hmm. similar in our brain where your brain can't tell the difference between, am I getting chased by a lion or is this problem happening internally to me? Right. Um, And that's such an important thing to break down and is part of breaking this cycle is saying like, I'm okay. I'm safe. This is vestibular, but I also want to point out, this is something that sometimes I get yelled at for, but I'm going to say it anyway, that dizziness is actually a normal part of the human experience, right? Just like pain. So if you pinch yourself, it hurts. If you spin in a circle a bunch of times, or you stand up too fast or 
if you, I don't know, do certain things throughout the day, dizziness is a part of that experience of being a human and it's supposed to happen. Um, obviously having a vestibular disorder is like way on the other side of abnormal dizziness responses. But if mm -hmm. all day, every day, I think if most people were saying, am I dizzy? Am I dizzy? Am I dizzy? That can also kind of perpetuate this response. So there are answers. There is a reason that this happens. Um, and of course, having a vestibular disorder is abnormal. It's not normal dizziness, but right. And I think is, mm -hmm. one of the most important things that you were just talking about of like, am I being chased by a lion or whatever? The big key piece in that is perceived danger. Um, and so while maybe during Neanderthal times, like, yes, we would perceive danger by being chased by some scary animal. Mm -hmm. The things that we perceive as dangerous and kind of more modern industrial times are different. So things like job stress, social stress, like these other things. But mm -hmm. when you're perceiving dizziness or these symptoms as danger, that's when that cycle kind of gets in, in motion. And th the, the real thing to highlight here is perceived danger and actual danger get mm -hmm. the same response from your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no such thing as like fake pain, fake danger, fake dizziness. It's all mm -hmm. in your brain. It's just how we respond to it almost. Right. Right. Awesome. So can the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle be broken? Is there anything we could do about it? Or are we just going to live in a life with chronic dizziness forever? <laughs> so yes, it absolutely can be broken. Um, so I get, like I said, a lot of people are like, I don't know if this is dizziness. I don't know if it's anxiety. I don't know if it's both. Um, and I think the big kind of point to drive home here is positive neuroplasticity. And so when people think of neuroplasticity is such a buzz buzzword, it's used as a marketing term and like stuff like that, which I won't get too into, but we have positive neuroplasticity and we have negative neuroplasticity. Um, and neuroplasticity is just the way that our brain rewires itself based on our experiences, our thoughts, the behaviors we engage in intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and of course, we want our brain to work in our favor. So that would be positive plasticity that allows us to do more adaptive things that allows us to feel better. But our brain can also engage in negative neuroplasticity, which is a lot of times how people get stuck in that dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle, because neurons that fire together, wire together. And so if your dizzy and anxious neurons are always firing together, they have become very ingrained and they've become wired together. So of course, when one of them like starts to um, go off, the other one's going to go off too, because they've kind of become one in the same. So in terms of how to break the cycle, it's all about calming the nervous system, number one, and then dealing with the emotion center or kind of the limbic system, as we might call it in the brain. So the thoughts that we have in our head impact the way that we're in fight or flight or not also impacts the way that hormones are released. So things like cortisol and adrenaline, and then the way our immune system functions too. So I don't want to act like any of this is in a vacuum. It's definitely not. It definitely has real tangible biological impacts. Um, but in terms of how to actually break that cycle, it's through nervous system work. It's through um, mindset work. Absolutely. I feel like mindset comes first and everything else second. And when I was a new grad in physical therapy, I was like, oh, you can just do these exercises. You'll be fine. And then everyone was either not getting better or getting worse, except for the people who like had a really solid lock on their mindset. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I need to figure out what this is and kind of re 
that exact thing has rewired the way that I practice because it's Mm -hmm. so, so important that mindset and the way that you modify your nervous system um, is done. It's so important. And I think we do not give enough credit to the psychologists of the world to help us with this. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Okay. You have this great path through the woods analogy that you put on Instagram the other day. And I think that you use it in your practice, but I was wondering if you could explain it here because I love it. (laughs) I'm sure people are so sick of it at this point. I talk about it all the time. Oh no. Um, So the path through the woods analogy is kind of my analogy for the way that neuroplasticity works. Mm -hmm. So if you think about like a road in the wood, let's say it's paved. And it's the road where the cars go down, the pedestrians, the bikers. It's kind of like the obvious default way because no one's going to like want to go into the brush, right? That is the dizzy and anxious pathway. So it's the pathway your brain is used to going down over and over and over and over. And the more it gets used, the more it gets used, right? So to break that cycle, we have to kind of go rogue and start taking a different pathway, meaning going on foot. It means walking over brush. It means encountering some animals. It means taking your little pocket knife and cutting things down as you go. And that feels very effortful because it is very effortful. Like your brain likes repetition and sameness. So to do something different requires a lot of repetition, a lot of consistency until that new pathway in the woods becomes the default pathway and then the road that was paved no longer gets used. And so the brush can kind of grow over that. Um, that's not to say that pathway disappears forever. So during times of stress, during times of poor sleep, that type of thing, your brain might want to revert back a little bit. But that's kind of the gist of the pathway in the woods analogy. That makes so much sense. And I like that you said at the end that like this other pathway doesn't just like poof, disappear. It's right. still there. And I think that you can even see that if you've ever gone on a hike or a rugged walk, like you can see where other people in the last year, last couple of years have hiked. And even if it's off the beaten path per se, um, it's something that you see and the exact same thing is in your brain and, re- right. and that's, remaking that is important. Yeah. And I think that's why when people ask, always ask about like, does triple PD or does the vestibular migraine have a cure? Um, And the reason why I say no, and migraine is a little bit more complex. So let's talk more kind of about triple PD, but no, because that neural pathway is still going to exist, if that makes sense. So like your brain is primed to kind of go back there compared to someone else who's never had triple PD. Like maybe they don't have that dizzy pathway kind of ingrained a little bit. So in that sense, there's no cure because a cure would mean you would resort to baseline and you would never experience it again. Or, or if it it did happen again, it'd be unlikely. Um, So that's not to say there's no hope, like for sure you can return to normal and baseline, but there are maybe small instances where you might notice like a little bit of like, oh, my brain is going back to like the pathway that I didn't want it to go down today. Totally. And I think it's important to be cognizant of that and remember that our brain is not wired to be like happy-go-lucky and feel good all the time. We kind of have to be intentional about that. And that's why like mindfulness and mindset work and doing things you enjoy and spending time in nature and practicing your gratitude journal and all of these other things are so, so important because Mm -hmm. your brain is not wired to just be like, everything's fine. I'm fantastic. Just 24, 24, seven. It's not, not a thing. Right. Um, So just like you were talking about, Triple PD, so persistent postural perceptual dizziness. Is this the same as the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle? Is it not the same? I know 
like a, a buzzword these days has been like neuroplastic dizziness. Are these all the same thing? Are they different? Um, so it's a really interesting question. And I was just doing group therapy yesterday and someone brought up this exact question of like, I see other people talking about triple PD about vestibular migraine as purely a quote emotional problem or like as it's a it's a way that trauma has been stored in your body and so i i have a very strong opinion about that in the opposite direction um i think that so let's talk about the risk factors for triple pd so we know the risk factors anxiety is one of them um body vigilance is one of them and that means kind of how we're scanning our bodies constantly for symptoms or any sensations that might we might magnify if if we're perceiving danger um the the negative illness narrative so if we're telling ourselves stories about what it means to be to have illness or to be sick but all of this stuff is also structural so when we look at brain scans of people with triple pd we know that their brains are structurally different than people without triple pd so the whole question of like is is triple PD the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle? Is it an emotional problem? To me, makes it sound like emotions and biology are separate and they are not. Like they are one in the same. Yes. Um, and so the way that I think about like, why might someone develop triple PD after, I don't know, BPPD and then someone else doesn't, it's, it's a neuroplasticity issue. Um, and whether you want to call that emotional or biological, like it's both. So um, what might make someone more likely to develop triple PD? Constantly scanning your body. So waking up in the morning, is it happening again? Because then you're going to that body scanning mode. Maybe you feel something a little bit off in your head. You put your attention on it. It magnifies. You tell your brain, hey, this is super important. We should make more neural networks around this. So then your brain listens. It does that. And then you get into that reinforcement of you're like, oh, I feel safe because I did a body scan and I realized that there was this issue and I decided I wasn't going to move my head that way anymore. That reinforces that. Oh, nothing bad happened because I did that. So then I'm going to keep doing that every single day. Um, and then I'm going to develop this illness narrative in my head around how I need to move my body, what keeps me safe, what activities can I do, what things do I need to avoid? And so it becomes like, you kind of neuroplasticize, if we want to use that word, yourself into sort of a sensory processing disorder. And it, it changes the way that your body emphasizes different um, inputs. So we know like with mm -hmm. triple PD, um, your body starts to overemphasize vision, for example, not trusting the inner ear, not trusting proprioception or touch sensation. So I think it's a it's a really big, big question. We could talk about it for a long time, but is triple PD just the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle? No, I think it's much more complicated than that. And one other thing that I wanted to talk about kind of as it relates to the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle and breaking that cycle is yes, nervous system stuff, super important. Yes. Mindset stuff is super important. Movement, super important, all these things. But in my practice, I've seen people be the perfect students, do all of these things perfectly. Um, they're, you know, doing mindfulness meditation and progressive muscle relaxation and biofeedback and all of these things. And they're still having a really hard time with it. That's when I start to look at, are there other comorbidities? Are there other things going on? Do I need to facilitate a referral to someone else to figure out, is there a bigger force happening that is making it so this person cannot 
calm their nervous system. That might be gut issues. It might be autoimmunity. I see um, Hashimoto's all the time. Every and so single these, day. Yes. So these bigger issues that like your doctors are not talking to you about this. They're not considering these comorbidities. And I, I, people kind of reach me and they're like, Hey, I've tried 10, 15, 20 medications. I'm doing all the right things. Um, trying to break the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle. And so I kind of pride myself on like detective work of like, there's other things going on. This is not your fault. This is not because you've somehow come sh- come up short in your efforts. Sometimes there are more powerful things happening in our body that make it so hard to engage in these things. And so I really like to emphasize that as well, that it really has to be dealt with from a multidisciplinary approach. Absolutely. I think we are treating so many of these things just from the neck up. Yes. There are your thyroid is in your neck, I guess, but still there are so many reasons that you might still be dizzy. That isn't just like, you're not working hard enough. Right. Right. And that being said, there are also people working so hard that their body is like, I am so on overdrive that I am incapable of also doing this. So it can be on two sides of the spectrum. And I don't believe that anyone with any chronic illness is not trying their very best to Mm -hmm. be their best version of themselves. Totally. trying too hard or doing so many things that now you're like, okay, I'm at this weird plateau, but I'm still trying things. It could be something else. And we blame a lot of stuff on migraine that isn't always migraine. We're like, that's a migraine symptom, but it could actually be a Hashimoto symptom or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so it's important to, if you're like, you know what, maybe I do have this visit an endocrinologist who specializes in that thing or ask your other providers Um, And again, we share a lot of the same patients and we see some of the most complex dizzy patients and they end up doing really well, but they do need these other avenues. um, Right. And I think it's important to, um, I I like what you said about the two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. A lot of the people that I see tend to be very high achieving perfectionist and have like these expectations of themselves. And that in and of itself can be something that is, is, um, the thing we're working on in treatment. Cause like you said, if you're almost like trying too much and putting too much pressure on yourself, that is a level of perceived danger by your, by your nervous system. Um, and there was one other thing I wanted to comment on, Oh, about, is this a migraine symptom? Is this a Hashimoto symptom? People have to realize too, that these things are just labels. Diagnoses are not perfect. Like as you'll see over time, like the DSM, like the book that I work from or the ICD or whatever, these things change over time as we learn different things. Um, and so diagnoses are just meant to label constellations of symptoms. And so I think you have to realize that your body is your body and what's going on in your body is unique to you. And all of these symptoms have a bi-directional relationship, meaning they're playing off of one another, if that makes sense. And so that's, I really try to take a holistic view at everything and how the body works kind of systemically together. Absolutely. I think we're definitely on the same page there. And I want to go back to what you said at the very beginning of, is this kind of like dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle versus three PD of are your emotions, your biology. And yes, like too high of stress and feeling anxiety is going to literally send off a cascade of like different hormones that are affecting every single piece of your body down to like how muscle tissue is built. And Mm -hmm. so if you're in this state of like fight or flight, yes, that is part of the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle. Yes, that is then 
rerouting the way that you are sensorily inputting vestibular information. And it's also affecting like the way your body is building muscle and metabolizing different things. And so Mm -hmm. every single part of you is so, so connected and saying like, well, I have migraine and it causes my triple PD. Yes. But also it's affecting all of these other things. Like your gut health, for instance, is such a big Mm -hmm. piece of it. Um, and making sure you're eating enough plant fiber and and having, uh, SCFAs and things like that, like in your gut health, which is a conversation for another time, probably with a dietitian, um, Mm -hmm. that is so, so important. Yes. So, um, we definitely covered why 3PD happens. So is there anything we can do about 3PD and the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle that kind of is across the board, relatively safe for people? Of course, we are never giving medical advice, just like the disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast says, (laughs) and this is never something you should do without the input from your doctor and your healthcare team. But what are kind of the things that we start to think about when we start to think about triple PD and dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle treatment? Yeah. So I really start to think about nervous system work. So I'd say across the board in terms of safety would be like breathing exercises, for example. And I think people hear breathing exercise and they're like, oh, I've heard this before. I've tried it. It doesn't work. And what we just talked about this in group yesterday. And, and one of the group members was like, you know, I actually listened to you this week and I actually practice it routinely and it was amazingly helpful. And it's just so funny because I'm like, yes, this is what I've been telling you the whole time. Um, And I think it's because it feels so simple that it's like, oh, well, that's way too simple. That couldn't actually be that helpful. But let's get back to the neuroplasticity piece. So we take over 20,000 breaths a day. And so we become very used to breathing the way that we breathe, which is usually with our chest, usually kind of shallow. And so the more you practice, the more you're retraining your nervous system to be at a different baseline. And so you have to think back to the pathway in the woods analogy. Like you're not going to change your nervous system by doing a breathing exercise once a week. And you're not going to change your nervous system. You're not going to change muscle memory by doing it only when you're in a panic attack. So these are things that have to happen multiple times a day, every day in an ongoing way to make any sort of meaningful change. So that's a really big one that I like. I've more been getting into like some sound therapy type things. Like I know people have heard me talk about like binaural beats. I personally am trying the safe and sound protocol right now, like as a patient for myself, as a nervous system technique, which has been really interesting. And I'll share more about that kind of as I get more into it, but in terms of other kind of nervous system calming, spending time in morning sunshine to help regulate the circadian rhythm, Um, regulating blood sugar, spending time with loved ones, social support, spending time in nature, gratitude, all these things that sound kind of, I don't know, ambiguous or wishy-washy actually have measurable effects on our physiology. Absolutely they do. And funnily enough, I had the exact same experience yesterday in my group where we were on our coaching call and we were talking and at the very end, so we had one yesterday and then two weeks prior, every two weeks. And someone was like, I just wanted to give you an update from what you told me last week. And she's like, this thing is making me really anxious. I'm having a hard time with movement. And I was like, be really intentional with your grounding and your breathing whenever you finish this thing that makes your nervous system feel um, kind of like hyped up. And she goes, mm-hmm. I actually did it every day for the last two weeks. And, and it, my dizziness is not gone. She's been dizzy for 25 years. So we're not expecting yeah. things to be gone in two weeks. But she's like, I 
actually didn't feel worse after like I felt back to my baseline within those 10 minutes and it's like Mm -hmm. that is such an important thing to recognize and to say okay this made a measurable difference because we see it in the research but sometimes clinically we're like oh this couldn't possibly work right Mm -hmm. I have to do Mm -hmm. this every single day I want to take a pill every day and just like have it be over but taking that that part of your body and saying like okay I'm going to make a measurable effort every single day for these two Mm -hmm. weeks and even if you see a 5%, 10%, 20% reduction in those symptoms, it doesn't go away 100%. That's what we're looking for. And that's when you say, okay, this route in my brain is changing. And I this is where I really need to stick it out. Yes. And this is something I can add to my toolbox along with everything else, along with the rescue meds and the um, acupressure bands and the this and then that, but like, it's something to add. And then what I find is that people use it, they start to feel better. And then they're like, Oh, I don't need it anymore. I'm going to stop doing it. And then it becomes that same vicious cycle again. Um, but hitting on, we hit a little bit on nervous system, the mindset piece too, in terms of breaking the cycle, I've been experimenting with different things and I'm honestly moving away from more of a CBT type model, more towards an act model. And again, buzzwords, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy is more focused on changing your thoughts, looking at evidence for your thoughts, um, challenging your thoughts in some ways. ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy is more of a mindfulness-based approach around changing your relationship with your symptoms. So one of the exercises I've been doing with some of the patients that I work with is some somatic tracking. So I'll actually sit that, sit them down, not during a migraine attack, but during like their baseline level of dizziness. And asking them to actually put their attention on their symptoms and asking them to um, name it and describe it and tell me how it feels. And if they move their head, does it change? And it's almost like befriending the scary thing. So I describe it as like your symptoms are like the monster in the closet. If you're a kid thinking there's a monster in your closet and you're like, I don't want to look at it. Anytime I feel a little noise come up from the closet, I got to like just cover that. and the same thing happens with our symptoms. A tiny thing comes up. I got to take my meds immediately. I got to take time off work. I can't go do this thing with my friends, whatever. Totally get it. It's scary. But if we can open the closet and see like, maybe it's not a monster, maybe it's a mouse um, that can make us start to change our relationship with the symptoms themselves. And then that can generalize into changing the relationship with our thoughts about the symptoms, with the stories we tell ourselves about the symptoms. And I know this is kind of an abstract idea, but I've been going more in the direction towards act towards more somatic type work, because I find a lot of people are trying to address their symptoms from a cognitive perspective. So they're trying to cognitively problem solve sensations in their body. And that never works. I totally and completely agree. I am sort of obsessed with the somatic approach for this, like Mm -hmm. approach. I am not the kind of therapist you are, but I actually know a PT who is like a somatic based PT, which is really cool. And I'm like, maybe Mm -hmm. I can take that continuing education next (laughs) because I think it's so interesting and so effective. And the book I read on this, um, is the way out by Alan Gordon. Um, Mm -hmm. and I listened to it on audiobook. It was like four hours long. I did it on a plane flight and even that reading that book and now tell so many people to read it if they don't have access to somatic therapy, because I think that alone, that like a kind of concept of, you can change your relationship with your symptoms is so, so important. And in that mm-hmm. book, if you do read it, it's a great read. I will link it in the thing below. If you do want to read that book, it is about pain and chronic pain and all of that. Yeah. But 
pain science and dizziness science, there's so much more research for pain science than dizziness science. But in chronic pain science, we know that we can change our relationship with different symptoms and the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle and the pain, fear, pain cycle really work pretty much the same in our brain. And so I think that reading that book and just replacing the word dizzy with pain or both or symptom or whatever you want to put in there yeah, is a, is a good read. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I use that connection too. And aside from, aside from act, I really like pain reprocessing therapy also. Mm -hmm. Um, and I use a lot of those principles with my patients too. And so if you don't have access to someone who knows about dizziness, um, you can find someone who knows about chronic pain. And I think those skills generalize pretty well. I think so too. I think the number of chronic pain therapists is probably increasing much more rapidly than chronic dizziness, dizziness therapists. And I think maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think also like having a therapist who hasn't necessarily experienced dizziness is not what you should have your biggest priority in finding a therapist for Mm -hmm. this. I think a lot of people are like, well, my therapist just doesn't understand. And I think a willingness to believe you and say like, this is real. And this is how I'm going to have my plan of attack to help you is more important than your therapist having experienced dizziness in the past. Now, if you can get one who has both like Emily, that's great. (laughs) Dr. Emily, that's great. But if you, because they are few and far between, um, finding someone who's willing to work with you on that is the most important standard, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, all these approaches are great and I I'm all like in my practice, practice. I'm very goal-directed and um, we're definitely working on things. It's not just like talking, but we still know that the relationship with your therapist is extremely important. So when you're looking for a therapist, if you are Mm -hmm. feeling like it's a good personality, good relationship match is very important. Absolutely. Feeling like it's someone you can talk to. And that is hard. That can be really hard to find, but Mm -hmm. When you do, that's great. Don't uh, let them go, hopefully. Right. <laughs> um, okay. One more question I have for you is what is yeah. one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you first got diagnosed with a vestibular disorder? Ooh, that's a good one. I think I would take the advice, go slower to go faster. And let me explain what that means. I feel like so much, so many of us who end up with chronic dizziness have again this type A, super high achieving, perfectionist type personalities. And we feel like we have to figure it out all right now. We want to try every treatment right now. Um, and I think that can become really counterproductive because it's overwhelming. You can get into that perfectionist state of like feeling like I need to do 10 therapies at the same time. Um, and that perpetuates that fight or flight that kind of perceives danger. And the same thing is true, even when adding meds or adding supplements. Um, and I mean, I'm on kind of my own journey with sort of functional stuff right now. And I find myself like, I'm going to try these three supplements all at the same time. And then I react to one of them. And then I have to go back to the drawing board and stop all of them to start them over again slowly. And so I think it, I would say like to trust the process and to move slowly and really give my body time to adapt and see how I'm responding to things before frantically feeling like I have to try the next and next and next thing. I completely agree. And frantically, the word frantically, especially saying, okay, I'm now frantic about trying all of these things and putting so much pressure on myself to get better Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's just going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. I think timelines 
expectations around timelines are so detrimental to people, to people's mm-hmm. healing. Mm-hmm. Everyone always wants to know how long does this last for? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, I do not know. Mm-hmm. You've met one person with a vestibular disorder, you know, one person and that's right. it. So I love that right. advice. I really like that a lot. I Thank appreciate you. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So tell everyone how they can find you, how they can work with you, um, all of the things. And I will yes. link it all as well. Sure. So I am on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, even though I'm way too old to be on TikTok, at Rooted Behavioral Education. And then my website is rootedbehavioraleducation.com. So I practice, or not practice, but I provide education internationally. So I do one-on-one meetings with people and I'm actually bringing on two mindset coaches pretty soon who are trained in mindfulness. They themselves have lived with chronic dizziness. They're excellent. I'm so excited. Um, and I'm going to be kind of supervising them in an ongoing way to make sure that our clients are getting the best care possible. So that is one way to work with me. The other way to work with me would be through my private practice, which is called the vestibular psychologist.com. Um, and I'm licensed in, I think 38 States and I provide individual therapy, group therapy, one-time consultations. So it's a bit confusing that I have the two businesses. So the vestibular psychologist is for the States where I'm licensed. And then rooted is for is for the states where I'm not licensed or internationally. And then I also have courses, self-paced courses um, through rooted. Yeah. So if that wasn't too confusing, then you can email me <laughs> and we can chat. It's rootedbehavioraled at gmail.com. All righty. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. I really appreciate the time and all of your energy and all of the things for being here today. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm really excited for this podcast. If you would like to find me on Instagram, give me a follow at the vertigo doctor and the podcast at grounded.vestibular.pod. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our channel. And if you're interested in working with me, try vestibular group fit, the affordable comprehensive program that focuses on movement, mindset, support, and education to take you from feeling frustrated and dizzy to feeling in control of your vestibular disorder. Or we can work together one-on-one in California, Virginia, Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Wyoming, and Wisconsin. Your success story begins today. Dizziness does not have to be forever. Let's get you the right tools to thrive. I love you, and I'll see you next time on Grounded. Grounded.